Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineers own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. Why is the volume so low on this? Is it low? It's way low. Because we've been listening to music. <sighs> All right, I guess we'll start the pod this way. I have the file if you need it and you can just <laughs> dub it over. No, let's, we're rolling. Let's go. Um, wow. Today is June 1st, by the way. June 1st, and this is an audio only, again, for the sake of speed. Yep. And ease of recording. We felt the need to get something out to y'all, to the print heads out there. Oh, I would oh. call this an emergency pod, but we're a week late. Yeah, well, I think almost a week for myself anyway, you know, because you had you had messaged me and you're like, dude, emergency pod. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but a big part of me wanted to just chill and mm-hmm. see what else was going to roll out. Like if there was going to be any other news, when did we get the news? So the news uh, rumor of the news broke out exactly a week ago. So last Thursday. Thursday night rumor. There was a rumor like a uh, source. I got, I got word a day before the official announcement. Yeah. That so was when last the Thursday. Okay. Yep. There's that Thursday afternoon. And then faster than anyone expected, there was an official announcement on Friday morning. And what was this announcement? The announcement was Stratasys was merging with desktop metal. And <laughs> So this is for any of our consistent listeners who've listened to a few episodes. You're going to go back in time and you're going to you're going to hear some some of our opinions, maybe even jokingly talking about desktop metal. How are we going to how are we going to swallow that pill moving forward? There is no pill to swallow. What are you talking about? They're our homeboys now. I I mean, we have talked about BFFs. (laughs) Friends become enemies. Enemies become friends. It's beautiful. Is this like an arranged marriage situation? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, we have talked about desktop metal multiple, multiple times over the last few years, but primarily it was in the context of two discussions. One was stocks and the valuation of these companies and the, the SPAC deal and the roller coaster ride of... DM basically becoming a meme stock. So that was one context, and I completely stand by everything I said over the past couple of years there. And the other context was around the discussion of uh, just their metal technology. We did a whole episode on filament metal, where we talked about DM quite a bit, and Mark Forged and uh, BASF and Ultrafuse and stuff like that. And then also we've had some pretty serious discussions around binder jetting as well. So of course they're going to come up in that discussion. And again, you know, like with filament metal, stand by everything, everything I said there and um, binder jetting, I stand by everything I said there. I've been optimistic on binder jetting, you know, acknowledging that it offers a lot of promise, but it is not where people want it to be yet. And the fact that these companies are merging that doesn't that that doesn't change the facts of 
the the situation, right? Like it actually does work for some situations. And if you're in production, I'm going into the weeds already. I, I didn't intend to do this, but if you find a part that it works for and you go into production with that part, that's a solid fit. People wanted it to be, people do want it to be more than that. They want it to be something that can handle a wide variety of parts and be at home, like in a job shop where you're running dozens of different parts on a, on a build day in, day out, different parts. Sort of like we do what we do with polymer binder jetting today. Polymer's there. The metal's not there. As far as I know, I, I do expect to be learned, like taught over the next year or so about maybe some gaps in my understanding. Welcome to the house of learned doctors. <laughs> yeah. Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So that's the big news. The big news is desktop metal and Stratasys combine. Huge news. Plan to combine whatever. Yeah. And, and I don't know how this stuff works. So you may have to go into details about that, but wait. Okay. I'll do my best. I'm going to do this for the second episode in a row. I'm going to lay out what we're going to talk about today oh, I, before I love we actually talk about it. I love this. So again, everybody, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you listening. You're not watching because we are not on YouTube for this one. Uh, we will work to do that and we're going to try and keep these episodes a little bit shorter today because of the gravity of this news or the magnitude, we are going to focus solely uh, on, we may throw in a tidbit here or there about something else, but uh, for the most part, it's going to be desktop metal and Stratasys combined. Uh, and then we'll break it down. We're going to talk about the announcement, what we know so far, um, what Stratasys has told us, when we'll see the changes, and kind of our thoughts on any speculation towards, I guess, just our expectations. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, so where do you want to start? Well, <laughs> tell me about, tell me about when you first heard the news, whether it was official or not, what was your gut reaction? Your initial reaction? Instantly regretted ever doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, take it all down. Take it all down. Really? Uh, I was just embarrassed if I can like, and maybe I'll eat my words right now, but uh -huh. like I, I was I don't know if it was a combination of shame, embarrassment, and like, and, and I'm just being honest. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is just truth. We're in a circle of trust, yeah. you and me and the print heads. Um, a circle of trust that goes way beyond the walls of this room. Well, and re the reality is, like, I'm just a little speck on the wall. I'm just a little ant in this this whole world. I'm a grain of sand. So I don't think that whatever I say holds a whole ton of weight, but I'm going to say it anyway, just yeah. from someone who has no one cares what we say. Exactly. So I, it, it was just hard. It was a hard pill to swallow. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, like mm -hmm. what we think we know about this company, <clears throat> excuse me, is one thing. And we have our own past experience to draw off of. So it's not like all of it's totally unfounded. Uh, the way we feel about certain things, but, and we've said how we felt and you stand by it and I stand yeah. by it. Yeah. So I knew that in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, now I have to stand by this, but now we have to like, at least mentally to support 
the company we work for put a positive spin on it or have some optimism toward future technologies or how the IP is going to blend, how things are going to improve for either company or both companies. Well, you do have a choice. You don't need to be optimistic. You have a choice. Yeah. And I choose to be happy. Yeah. That's a good, good call. So, I mean, you, I get a lot of crap sometimes for choosing my words, but I feel pretty confident that I've been precise in my language in terms of, (laughs) you know, how I've, I'm so much, I'm so much less precise. I'm far less precise. So I don't have the confidence that you have where I could go back and look at my, or listen to any past thing and be like, yeah, you're an idiot. Cause I think that every time I listen to something of mine. So I, I guess, yeah, I, it's two huge companies combining there. We, and we've said this desktop metal has made good acquisitions along the way. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm interested to see how those will be sold, how Stratasys decides to sell those and distribute those. So a lot of our print heads out there are potential buyers of these systems or just have interest in how this is going to go down. Is this going to be something you pull up to the dealership and buy from, you know, some other brand between or the two companies do you go like straight 300 partners selling partners yeah worldwide worldwide so how's this going to affect the sales force are they going to keep things direct are yeah, they going to we'll are they going to keep things through the vars we'll see um you don't want to talk about it no i do but you don't want to talk about it no i do want to talk about it but this is part of our expectations so let's hold off on that a little bit okay yeah. Let, let, let me give a little bit of history because uh, for the for people who are listening to this pod for the first time, they're not going to have a lot of context for what we're talking about right now. Right. So, OK, uh, we're currently a Stratasys reseller. Uh, we're the largest reseller. This in is going to be a fun history lesson. This is going to include everything you feel comfortable about. OK. OK. Go engineers history with desktop desktops history. I want it all. OK, well, we're, we're going to we're going to power through it as quickly as possible. If just possible. And and I'm only going to try to present what's relevant, but I will say if you go back even further, uh, go engineer was a Stratasys partner in the late nineties. And at that time there were some issues with the product and its ability to meet the demands of the customer and go engineer ended that partnership and shifted over to Z corp and sold Z corp printers for, half a decade or more and then Corp. yeah which was eventually bought by 3d systems those dusty old turds (laughs) uh so when tides changed and stratasys they were cool by the way at the time they were cool you had to soak them in cyanoacrylate and make them useful that way but Long story short, there's precedent for GoEngineer as a company for dropping a partner for the right reasons and bringing a partner back on. For the and right the right reasons. reasons are the product doesn't meet the demands of the consumer. Yeah, for dropping a for dropping a partner, that would be one thing. Um, if if they were a poor partner, for example, or if they were doing things that weren't in the best interest of 
the partnership or if they weren't doing something in the best interest of the customers, those would all be valid reasons for ending a partnership. And then to uh, re-enter a partnership, you know, if things change, if there's new technology or new products or new service or new leadership or what have you, you have to you have to reassess that, right? So in those situations, it was mostly a choice by Go. And in this situation, it's less of a choice by Go. But um, I'd be lying if I wasn't, if I didn't admit, like over the past couple of years, you see these acquisitions happening and you just think, man, what is Stratasys doing? Like they're losing uh, the ability to, to bring these technologies on. We've been pretty vocal about some of the acquisitions that they lost uh, for to Mark Forged, for example, and even DM. You know, when DM bought Envision Tech, that was definitely something that I think Stratasys missed out on. Stratasys ended up paying $100 million for Origin, which was a fledgling company. You know, they had maybe 100 customers at the time, roughly. So, and at this point, you know, Stratasys, the way the deal is structured, Stratasys is essentially matching what DM paid for X1 and they're getting the bundled company. They're getting all of the DM in-house technology, software, hardware. They're getting X1. They're getting Envision Tech. They're getting Figure. They're getting Forest. They're getting all of these different companies that have been bundled up under this uh, DM umbrella. So it's a good deal, I think, for Stratasys. But anyway... That's when, a good thing to to recognize. One thing though that I'm thinking while you're saying this, and continue, feel free to continue. I just want to hurry and mm-hmm. say what I'm thinking, and maybe what listeners might be thinking. Who is buying who? Because for for myself, you know, and I I'm just kind of waiting for more and more to to come out, yeah, officially, but. From what I can tell and the way the verbiage is on all the press releases, Stratasys to combine with Desktop Metal. Mm-hmm. So this seems like a merger. Um, I've heard from a couple people like, yeah, you know, the, it would be a merger for tax purposes, blah, blah, blah. I don't know all this stuff. I'm not a chairman yeah. of the board. Yeah. I'm not a stocks person. Yeah. We Admittedly, neither of us are in the stonks, but you know far more than I, at least I in think terms I know. of strategy. At least I think I you know. You sound good when you there say, when be, you talk about there it. There may so. be some legal obscure definitions here, but for all intents and purposes, I think merger is the right word for this. It's an all stock deal. So there's no cash exchanging hands. Uh, desktop metal as a company won't exist once this goes through. We don't know what the eventual name of this combined company will be. It could be Stratasys. It could be something else. Um, but desktop metal as a company won't exist. All of the existing shares of desktop metal will be converted to Stratasys shares. So if you're an owner of desktop metal shares, let's say you have a hundred shares of desktop metal, those will be converted to Stratasys shares as a, at a certain ratio. So it's something like 0.123 shares. So you'd have roughly 12 shares of Stratasys, the new company. Mm -hmm. And the way the deal structured is that Stratasys would retain about 59% of the resulting company 
And the DM shareholders would end up with about 39% of the resultant company. So 41. Okay. So let, yeah, 41. Let, let me read this. 41. Fact, 41 Cause you're, you're, you're pretty dialed on this. I just want to, and hurry and just nail this because this, it's all laid out right here. Okay. Cool. So Stratasys and desktop metal are expected to generate one point. This is that future curve. We talked about that the future upward slope that yeah. is always there. Always there. Um, Stratasys and DM are expected to generate 1.1 billion in 2025 revenue with significant upside potential in a total addressable market of more than 100 billion by 2032, which whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to say whatever because yep. don't care. Um, under the terms of the agreement, which has been unanimously approved by the board of directors of both companies, desktop metal stockholders will receive 0.123 ordinary shares of Stratasys for each share of desktop metal, uh, class A common stock. This represents a value of approximately $1.88 per share of desktop metal, class A common stock based on the closing price of a Stratasys ordinary share of $15.26 on May 23rd, 2023. Following the closing of the transaction, which is expected to occur in the fourth quarter, so this is answering, this is addressing the when. Yep. Um, in the fourth quarter of 2023, existing Stratasys shareholders will own approximately 59%, which you said, of the combined company, and legacy desktop metal stockholders will own approximately 41% of the combined company in each case on a fully diluted basis. That last part, I don't understand. Yeah. So there you have okay. it. Okay. So merger, I think, is the right word. Uh, merger is the right word. Yeah. It's, uh, this is so, well, well, we, continue been, with what you were saying. Okay. So, and, uh, go engineer. We, yeah, we were on, we were on a history lesson there. Yeah. We established a partnership with desktop metal really early on. Uh, I do think that we were the first Stratasys reseller. So the first company in the Stratasys channel to sign up and we kind of spearheaded that, uh, partnership and uh, gateway into the Stratasys channel for desktop metal. Uh, Stratasys was an original investor in desktop metal. I remember from the decks at the time, they had invested something like 14 million into DM early on. And we were, we were really excited. Um, DM came out really strong with their marketing and their expectations that they were setting on themselves for the technology that they were producing. So, at the time, they were focused on filament metal first in the studio system, the original studio system, and they were heavily invested in binder jetting, making binder jetting work in their what they were calling the production system at the time. After a, close to a year, we finally got our hands on a studio system. So in that first year, we were holding events telling people, the world, about this filament metal technology. And we were trusting what we were being told by DM. uh, And we had no reason not to trust it until we got our hands on the system and you started to realize, well, uh, a lot of what we've been talking about is a little bit theoretical and not quite there yet. And that was one of the major issues we had at the time was we've talked about this. It's all about proper expectation setting. You know, if you oversell and under deliver, that totally changes the dynamic of a relationship than if you under promise and over deliver. And we were on the wrong side of that situation. 
lives. And we felt like, what do we do? You know what I mean? Like we were really trying to make that studio system work. There were a lot of issues with the D binder, which we had a whole episode. And I, when, when they dropped the D binder, I talked about how great a move that was because that D bind step caused a lot of issues, uh, with the success of the prints. And, um, we were having issues with warpage and whatnot, but a lot of this was rooted in the fact that the technology was so new, no one really knew what the use cases were. So we were at first throwing every type of geometry at it that we could. And we were having a lot of failures. Some of them were hardware related. Some of them were software related. Some of them were just poor choices in choosing what to print, uh, for example. But everything was early on and DM and the individuals at DM were trying their best to make it work. I've never seen people work so hard. Uh, there was still that startup mentality. Everyone was really invested in the success of it. And they were really struggling to fulfill some of the promises and expectations that were being set like outside of their control. There were also people who were probably overestimating their ability to innovate and develop new technology, like um, in the furnace, for example. I, I think there were people that were at DM at the time or who were no longer there who were adamant that they could downsize industrial furnaces and bring all this, this technology in there and strip out 90% of the costs and deliver this really easy to use sintering furnace that had microwaves in it and all sorts of fancy stuff. And that really didn't come to fruition. So at that point in time, we we're in the business of selling machines. You know, we're actually in the business of connecting engineers with tools that allow them to tackle their problems. And we were actively not selling the systems because we felt like dollar for dollar, there were better tools out there to help people achieve other problems that couldn't be addressed by the metal uh, because of the way the technology showed up. Right. So we ended it amicably um, after a couple years. It just didn't make sense as a sales organization. Uh, but it was amicable and we've stayed in touch with those guys. Uh, even at AMUG recently, I ran into Rick, uh, full up and he like nothing had changed. I hadn't seen him in probably three years. It was like nothing had changed. He runs up to me. He's got something in his hand. And I knew from like 20 yards away, I'm like, he's going to show me something cool. Cause that's who he is. He's always got something cool that his team is working on technologically. DM as a tech technology company was amazing. Uh, they were very innovative. They just overpromised um, and underdelivered. So, at least on the studio system. On the studio system, and that's all we really had firsthand experience with. So, our experience with the production system at the time was fairly theoretical. The one of the last times I visited the DM in Burlington. Uh, the product, the first alpha production system was there and they showed it to us, but it wasn't running. So for example, so it was just still really early on in their existence. Uh, they had go to market issues. You know, they, as good as their marketing was, it was great about, uh, it was so good at telling a story and getting people hyped up 
and energized around this idea, but it was really weak in the sense of connecting real applications to the products. And over time, my personal relationship with their team had a lot of ups and downs because this, that was something I was honestly really vocal about, you know, who's going to buy these machines, who's going to use these machines and, and why that goes beyond just the excitement. You know what I mean? So there, it, I would say it's uncommon for us to end a partnership that way. And that had some lasting effects. Um, but the number of people who actually had hands-on experience and, and really truly knows what the problems were and what, what the team at DM did to fix them. The number of people here at Go that actually experienced that is a pretty small number. And over the years, as they transitioned from a partner to a competitor, that message kind of gets lost. You know what I mean? So that's one thing that I am trying to actively go out and rectify is that reputation and what it's rooted in and what the reality is and trying to share with everyone like why I am truly optimistic about this. Does that make sense? Did I miss anything? That makes sense. I don't want to get into that yet because that's kind of our expectations. That's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of that's that's how we want to finish this this episode, I think. But continue telling us what give us continue with the history lesson. So we we ended a relationship amicably and then moving forward, we picked up a couple other metal uh metal companies to represent. Yep. And again, this will go into our expectations, but take us, finish us off on, on the timeline. So, okay. We've had our start. We're kind of in the middle. Take us through the end. Okay. So we, we ended that partnership with desktop metal right at the end of 2019. So as we entered the 2020 year, we, we had no partnership with them. And we also at that point had no metal partner in general. Selling metal printers is very different from selling polymer printers. Um, going back to this idea that they're tools that are meant to be used to solve problems. We have to do that in a cost-effective way and you have to do it in a way that is makes the most sense versus other options, right? Otherwise people you have to have an it. expensive problem. Well, the expense of the problem has to align with the expense of the solution. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And people have problems that are very expensive and people have problems that are not so expensive. And there actually are, are metal options that fit all of those, but there's a ton of different gates. There's also this idea that printing and finishing metal parts is not nearly as simple as plastic parts. Handling the metal is not as simple as handling the plastic. So the demands on the employees, the demands on the facility, all of these are just uh, at a different level than onboarding a polymer technology. So it's a more difficult sell in general. And also, you know, the technology has been around for a long time, but it hasn't really highly been adopted. So you don't have the same, mm, like you don't see other people buying them and being successful with them at the same rate as polymers. You know what I mean? So you almost have to be an early adopter mindset and be willing to take on more risk to bring on metal than you, you do with polymers, just for example. That being said, 
metals are expected to outpace the growth of metals is expected to outpace polymers significantly over the next come over the coming years uh, just because that total addressable market is that's a true thing that you have to look at and you're trying to get a piece of that total addressable market total addressable market for metal manufacturing is much higher than plastic manufacturing so if you can get a small piece of that you're doing well and uh you're also going into a different scenario. You're mostly with the metal technologies. Those tools are mostly set up to address more production oriented problems. And we've been trying to break into production with plastics and we've had some success, but there is this idea that in, in order to truly break into production in the same way, just standard machine tools have, uh, you have to be in metals. So we went out searching for metal partners. We were focused on laser powder bed fusion as a technology because I think we've talked about this before. It was the most mature. It had the best reputation for being reliable and accurate and delivering on what the expectations were. Uh, we also had pretty good understanding of the failure modes and the behaviors of the metals. There's a good supply chain for powders. Like it, it was just a solid choice for us, especially as really and at that point entry level participants in this metal printing market so we went and found two partners uh, exact metal and velo 3d they're both laser powder bed fusion partners there's an order of magnitude difference in the prices of these machines and there is an order of magnitude difference in the problems that they're solving and they've turned out to be good partners solid partners solid technology solid products and uh we've been making you know, it's good strides, uh, with those tools, you know, especially exact metal as of late, people are finally, I think getting the hang of, uh, what it takes to have the discussions around these metal printers and effectively sell them. So we've been good there. Desktop metal didn't have laser powder bed fusion technology. They still don't have laser powder bed fusion technology. And my hope is that we'll be able to keep our current partners because um, we're really happy with them. And we're talking about one of the one of the great things about this DM Stratasys merger is that total addressable market, meaning how many applications can you actually address and what's the total value of those applications? That's what your total addressable market is. Think about it. I'm thinking about it. Think about it. <clears throat> so it's just a larger pie. And it, it's the exact same reason Stratasys made the acquisitions that they did. They were trying to expand their total addressable market. Uh, that's why they they invested into the Neo line to bring on stereolithography. Yep. That's why they invested in Origin to bring in the DLP technology. That's why they invested in Cavestro with the material technology. You're trying to expand your total addressable market, and then you start trying to grab that market. With DM, you make a huge leap forward uh, because they've done a great job of bundling up all of these different technologies, and you swoop in and you you grab them all at once. I think that pretty much takes us there. I mean, at, at this point, it's probably a good time to talk about expectations. Okay. Now, because... As you're talking about this, all I can think about is overlap. Okay. Um, so 
debt, where is there overlap between the Stratasys portfolio and DMs? And then where is there overlap between what we are currently re reselling and what desktop metal has? Well, we can take a stab at it. I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't have 100% knowledge of everything that's in the uh, desktop metal portfolio right now. It is difficult, especially as an outsider, to keep track of everything. And it's also not super clear as what stage everything is in, in terms of productization. You know, the forest acquisition is a good example of that. We saw them uh, acquire forest. They were putting uh, essentially sawdust and bioresin uh, uh, binders through their binder jetting yeah. system and building wood parts. I really haven't seen that on the market. Um, so that's just one example. That's one example. But let's just take the core, the well, core technologies. Yeah, I mean, for like Envision Tech is a DLP technology. Yeah. Stratus has picked up Origin, you'd mentioned earlier. So yeah. now, you know, these two conceivably competing uh, machines yeah. are now in the same family. Yeah. So where does that leave us? That's a good question. So that, that's a good question. These are things I'm excited to see get ironed out. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth noting that Origin is not fully integrated into Stratasys today. And Desktop Metal, Envision Tech, or now eTech, and both X1, I wouldn't say that those are fully integrated into Desktop Metal either. So you have two companies that are actually each on their own, have elements of multiple companies coming together. And that's where I have a lot of optimism, but they're are concerns as well that there's risk in that i don't know what the reason for this would be but it doesn't seem like desktop metal even intended to fully integrate um, all of those acquisitions into one umbrella and there's probably logical reasons for that but from an outsider and as a consumer i always thought it was strange that the x1 branding for example persisted that Envision Tech, actually that branding did not persist, but they rebranded it, not as DM, but as eTech. And yet they did carve out a portion of that and they branded it Desktop Health. So I don't know if it was on purpose as in the sense of one of the, one of the things that we observed is that DM was struggling financially to sell they were struggling to sell their homegrown products and they were under a lot of pressure to generate revenue. So they went out and started acquiring companies that had, you know, established channels um, or go to market strategies. And they never really combined them. They kind of just sat on their own. So um, if you were a desktop metal buyer, you might be talking to different companies if you were interested in one technology versus the other technology. And I think they probably did that to just preserve the value that they got out of their acquisitions. Um, but in the long run, I don't think that that's the right way to run a company. And that is one concern or risk I see happening is if let's say you have an e-tech product, an existing e-tech product, is it going to be a desktop metal product? And then a Stratasys product, is there going to be three layers of branding or 
two or three years from now or one year from now, is it going to be a Stratasys product? And I really hope it's the latter. I really hope everything bundles under that Stratasys name and you have consistent uh, approaches to selling, consistent approaches to servicing, and that the customer experience is with a Stratasys uh, entity. And it's not through five or six different channels. Yeah. Um, that's my hope. Agreed. Uh, that's my hope. I think that without a doubt delivers the best customer experience. So do you see this as, I mean, I'm just thinking nuts and bolts here. Do you see this as a combination and all the chips are at the table? Everything is there for the viewing of board members or whoever engineers leadership that can pick and choose like, okay, let's, let's take this product. Let's take all these products and let's make this our, our core product line. And as so long as like IP doesn't interfere, let's sell this chunk off. Yeah. Do you see that happening? Do you see, you know, them kind of just cherry picking the good stuff? Yeah. And then dropping. Well, I, I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, what you would really need to know, and I don't want to assume anything, is what was the strategy behind the acquisitions in the first place? You know, for example, DM acquired a company that specialized in printing hydraulic manifolds. So, you know, it was mostly a services and design company specialized into one core product. I never really understood the the value of that acquisition, but I'm sure I'm missing something strategic there. So I think you do go to base principles and you reassess what was the strategic uh, reason for all of these acquisitions? Where is their synergy? Uh, where is their existing IP from one house or the other that as you cross them over into existing products, you know, is there low hanging fruit? Can we take some a material or a print head or something that's in one line and very quickly transition it over to an existing product? That's level one. Level two is how can we take this family of IP and combine them into new products over the next couple of years? So you set a roadmap for new products and then likely anything that's presents value, but beyond that year five mark, I think you probably sell it. You, you, you do have to streamline something. You know, one of the messages to shareholders and investors was combining these two companies was going to bring, um, the opportunity for cost savings within each company and also opportunities for growth and, and scale, uh, by joining forces, but that takes strategy. And I don't think that you can keep everything that's under the umbrella and under, under each individual umbrella. Um, I don't think you combine them and you have an umbrella that fits everything. Does that make sense? Totally. And I am in full agreement. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I tend to be cautiously optimistic, but okay, maybe not. I try to be cautiously yeah. optimistic, but I can tend to be, um, extra critical yeah. in my thinking or, or I have a lot of skepticism uh -huh. for this, you know, uh, this whole thing, 
and I'm just being honest here. Sure. Because it's important. Change, humans inherently hate change. We are creatures of habit. Yeah. And when we are required to change, it is awful. It's it's hard for people. Now imagine doing this with full teams. And now imagine doing this with like with technology that you've personally developed for years uh-huh. and another team has personally developed their technology. It's very tough to bring those minds together and say, I mean, it sounds great. It yeah. sounds fantastic, right? Yeah. And I can put a positive spin on it. You're taking some brains, you're combining tech these 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 ideas in a group and saying, okay, we do this really well. You do this really well. How can we do these things really well together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds so nice. Oh man. But I, it just, I've personally not seen it be executed extremely well. And maybe I have, but because it was executed so well, I just didn't recognize it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, so, think, I think that's a possibility. It would be invisible you know, the more well it's executed. It's like body work on a car, man. Do you see Polyjet and FDM as separate companies under the Stratasys banner? Oh, that's a great point. Um, no, I don't. I don't. And I do. I mean, I recognize that there are, they're totally separate engineers working on the two mm-hmm. technologies. Mm-hmm. From a marketing standpoint, you know, <laughs> This is going to sound silly, but the J55 yeah. from an industrial design standpoint looks like it was created by the same people who made the F370. Yeah. But we know that it likely wasn't. The engineers were totally different, yeah. but the industrial designers were the same or they at least recognize that let's make some continuity between some of these products. I would love to see, say, three, five years from now, the whole Stratasys product line looks like and feels like their family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I, there's I continuity. I agree with that. Uh, the reason why I bring up that is because of course, Stratasys as we know it is the result of and Stratasys and object merger back in 2010 ish. And for the f- years following that, um, to your point, part of that change was difficult because the leadership styles were different. For example, the old, the old, Stratasys guard and the object guard, they had different mentalities, different approaches to business, et cetera. Uh, but there is precedent for them successfully merging companies, uh, but it did take some years. And it and that's my expectation is this will take really years to iron out uh, for sure. But um, I, when I first heard the news, I got a text with a news article. I'm like, what do you think about this? And instantly I just responded. I love it. Like I'm all board. I'm, I'm on board. I, I'm a, I, what I try to strive for is are strong opinions loosely held. So when I make a decision, I try to put all my energy into it, but I'm always try to remain open to changes, possibility of changes, changes that were within my control, out of my control. And also recognize that I just have one perspective. You know what I mean? So strong opinions loosely held has served me pretty well um, over the years. And I think this is a case, a case in that. And like I said, I would be lying if I wasn't uh, jealous, envious, let's say envious of some of the acquisitions DM was able to make over the last few years. 
Do I think instantly binder jetting is going to solve all the world problems? No. Do I think it'd be cool if the carbon fiber tape that's on the DM fiber system makes its way over to Stratasys FDM systems? Hell yeah. Really? Of course. Why no, not? No. It's an option. I, <laughs> I, I guess. It's an option. I don't want, and this is just me. This okay. is my pers personal opinion. I don't want to necessarily, to, I don't want to be the jack of all trades, master of none. Okay. I don't want to offer everything just so that like you come to us and we're, we're the one-stop shop for everything, man. We offer sure. everything because so often that means that you don't do something particularly well, which thank goodness this is kind of different, right? Like Stratasys is very mature in FDM and PolyJet at this point. Yeah. And there's, I've seen that the, well, the new technologies are starting to catch hold too, in terms of the Stratasys lineup. DLP, yeah, for sure. Uh, the origin has been incredible. We all know that. And now the SAF technology is taking off too. A lot of the customers that were early adopters of that are now buying their second and third machines. So that's a huge confidence boost in terms of, okay, we have the last set of acquisitions kind of figured out. They're maturing as well. So. Mm -hmm. At least we have those to rely on as kind of this, the, the, the foundation and the staples. I just, this is, you know, I've, this is personal again. I grew up doing, my parents put me in every sport and every activity they could. They sent me to, to summer camps and art, yeah. art stuff. Like I did it all. Yeah. And they just wanted me to figure it out. And I'm really grateful for that. But on the other hand, you know, I saw kids that like, their, their parents, like, I don't want to say made them, but they, they honed in on a single sport or activity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like certain kids, they had a batting cage in the backyard and they only did baseball and they ended up playing baseball. You know, I don't know anybody who went pro, but they played college and they just did something really, really well. Maybe later in life, it's paid off to be kind of good at everything, but I was always a little bit jealous of people who honed in on a single thing and were yeah. specialists. Um, and when I make purchases, I tend to buy from companies that specialize in something. So it's, it, it, I, I think as a consumer, what I would be thinking about right now is, will this make things better? If I'm already a customer of Stratasys, will this yeah. make things better for my current product? Will this give me confidence in future products? Yeah. That's something that you have to consider. Sure. And I wouldn't, I would say that it's yet to be seen. However, the potential for a brighter product is absolutely there. Yeah. Uh, because when you start to look at the laws around intellectual property, each of these companies have IP that if it was accessible to the other company would improve their products. Uh, technology that can increase the usability or uh, increase the reliability or improve quality. Each of these companies have low-hanging, uh, easy, simple examples of crossing over that would instantly improve. Which do you um, think, if you had to guess, which overlapping technology do you think benefits us instantly 
Not instantly, but which like is benefits. which is going to be the first one where we see that the IP having a synergistic effect toward a better product. Hmm. I see it in DLP. I'll come right out and say it. That's origin like, one's incredible. I think that's likely because that's the one area where each company has a successful product already, and there is very little technical difference between them. And so to cross over would be much simpler. So I think you're right there. I think DLP is the initial winner for sure. Well, and, and Envision Tech has an 8K machine. Yeah. Whereas Origin doesn't. That's true. Um, Envision Tech also historically has been great at smaller parts um, that we necessarily wouldn't be as good at. Um, and they also have... Uh, you know, a more well-established presence in dental, which is one of the industries that is just smoking hot right now for additive. So I think that's, I think that's a winner. Um, both companies now have print head technology. Uh, we have polyjet print heads and we have powder print heads. DM has powder print heads. Um, so I'm sure that there's some synergy there. Uh, Stratus has showed a polyjet metal printer, a polyjet-based metal printer five years ago. They showed part, aluminum parts at Rapid, and then they just kind of disappeared. I don't know why. Perhaps there were some issues there. Perhaps there was IP issues. I would love to see that technology make its way back we'll to see. the forefront. We just don't know. We don't know. Um, but I will say that there's probably a easy, like half-ass way to do this. And then there's a hard way to do it that will be way more fruitful five years from now. And I really hope that there's not so much economic and financial and investor pressure for them to skip steps. Because uh, I could see that happening. And that's my biggest fear. Well, and... This is another piece of news that we kind of glossed over, but on May 25th, Nano Dimension made another offer. Uh, yeah, they just to, won't go away. <laughs> so that's still happening. Um, Stratasys has declined. Uh, they offered $18 a share in cash in an attempt to increase the ownership to 53% uh, or to 53 to 55 increase its ownership. This is according to, to the Stratasys website here of the Stratasys ordinary shares. Stratasys board unanimously determined that the partial tender offer substantially undervalues yeah. Stratasys yeah. and is not in the best interest, interest of the shareholders. I, I heard a lot of people saying that this merger must have been a reaction to the nano dimension uh, takeover. Uh, attempts and it was kind of rushed or not well thought out. And I, I disagree with all of that. I don't think a deal like this happens on the timescale that would be required for that narrative to be truthful. And also, I just think that it's a really solid move by Stratasys. It is, you know, Stratasys was not going to break into metals. Uh, they just weren't going to do it. They didn't have the expertise. They didn't have the, uh, investment priority. They just weren't going to do it. And it's a big part of the future of additive. And I do think that this is a space where some generalism helps. I think of our printers as generalist machines. 
I don't think that they're specialized machines. We have all of these different technologies and they all kind of have their best use cases, but they're not specialized per application. You know what I mean? Like an FDM, an uh, F123 printer. I don't know. I disagree. The fact that you can sell an, an F370 into 10 different. That's FDM though. That's FDM. You could sell a polyjet system into 10 different industries and have 10 different use cases. By definition, that's not a specialized machine. Oof. A specialized machine to me is a dentist, a dental lab is going to buy this machine and no one else is going to buy it because it's set up to succeed in a dental lab. Only. Well, we have the Dentajet, which does just that. That's a specialist machine. I'm not going to buy that as like a regular old engineer. It's only a specialist machine in the sense that it has materials that are only sold to dental customers. It's not a specialist yeah, making, machine. That makes it a specialist machine. No, that's no, that's a, okay. I disagree with you on I, this one. I would say that's an I, artificial. There's no reason. There's no reason to have all these separate umbrellas of technologies if they weren't geared better for certain applications. They are geared towards certain applications. There's going to be overlap. We know that they have best fits. Exactly. Those are those are specialty systems, right? We have production systems quote-unquote production, whereas other machines yeah. don't scale have, well at all. Have you ever seen a like a machine that seals the plastic uh, bags for potato chips? No. That's a specialist machine in my mind. A 3D printer is not a specialist machine. And until we get there, I think being generalist is perfectly fine because there's going to be a ton of overlap and lessons learned from different industries that we can incorporate across many machines. I will say that also limits your penetration into these markets. We only hit these industries at the surface level because we cannot compete against specialist machines doing a similar task because they're so specialized. They're going to beat out on time and costs and things like that. Well, I mean, we've, we've covered it pretty well. I think, we and unfortunately we can only speculate on certain things and we can't share all of our speculations because it's just not appropriate um because things can change tomorrow yep also you know if you are someone who's currently in the process of purchasing a desktop metal system right now or stratasys system it's business as usual uh till the end of the year probably till the start of 2024 so yeah and i would say there there's going to be no change to the service ability of those systems. So if you're in the market for a certain system right now, don't hold off. Don't be afraid that these product lines might get killed and they won't be serviceable any longer. Like that's not going to happen. Oh, good point. Neither one of these companies is going to do that. I, I guarantee that. So with all of that said, um, we said we'd keep it a little short. It's, kind of short, maybe like eight minutes shorter than normal. <laughs> but is there anything else that you want to say? Uh, just that amongst all of the different mergers and acquisitions that we've been brainstorming over the last two years, this is actually probably the one that I didn't think would happen, but I would have been most excited about. Such a politician. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, with that said, I appreciate your your listenership. Um, keep listening. We'll try and come out with more of these as this kind of storyline develops. Yeah, let us know your thoughts. 
Uh, one thing I'm not looking forward to is um, all of the conversations with uh, all of the all of the DM buyers during the meme period. I don't want to buy. I don't want to. That's what I'm looking forward to least is like the meme stock buyers who think this is a terrible deal. When in fact, they actually are getting a premium. If you if you look if you compare the Acor revenue according to you. No, just the math. If you look at the split, we said it's 5941. If you look at the revenue, DM is overrepresented there. So if you're a shareholder right now, I think you should be pretty excited about this, a DM shareholder right now. Big big news. Big news. About as big as it gets for our industry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening and uh, we'll uh, see you later. Catch you next time.